Welcome to Thunder Thighs and Lightning, a true life comedy podcast about the modern day hustle. I'm Kristen. And I'm Kat. And this podcast has been deemed explicit due to crass language and the absurdity of who we are. Pants are not required. Today's episode, um, we are recording on Monday the 9th, but it's going to launch on this Wednesday, which is Veterans Day, November 11th. So like you and I talked about, I wanted to do something that was very veteran based, but kind of in that vein of the nope women, you know, that we've episodes that we've done. Nice. Yeah. Is this too messy, this beginning? No. Should I start this over? No, God okay. no. You didn't let me edit out last time. You're not good. <laughs> no. All right. Fair enough, courtesy. <laughs> when I um, was shaking in my boots the whole time because we had this sort of the fucking haunting, which might still be going on. activity. Um, so anyways, obviously everyone knows, all of our um, American listeners at least, that Veterans Day is a day that's just dedicated to honoring those who have served our country, so celebrating um, their service, honoring those who lost their lives, like while in battle or from injuries that they suffered while they were there, even tragically at their own hands after they've returned. So just for everyone who's listening, I think we both want to say just thank you truly for your service. Yes. Maybe a cheers. Cheers. You guys always hear our glasses clinking anyways, Clink. so why not today? All right. So the resources um, before we get started. Wikipedia, as always, I think you and I live on Wikipedia for these episodes. Um, Getty Museum, the U.S. Department of Defense, CNN, Protect Our Defenders website, and ABC News. So I wanted to start the, start this Nope episode a little bit differently and tell you the story about the life, um, tell you a story that happened in the life of the Greek hero Achilles. Oh, terrible so, place to get tattooed, by the way, on the tendon. <laughs> I know. Don't oh, do it. Don't do God, it. that's gag worthy. Uh-huh. Um, so for those who don't know, which I don't know a ton about Greek history, like Greek warriors and mythology, but so he was known as one of the greatest of all the Greek warriors. Uh, he was the main character in Iliad by Homer, and his names come to be synonymous with the Achilles heel, which is like a point of weakness. And I learned, I probably learned this when I was younger, but the Achilles heel um, signifies point of weakness because his mother dipped him in the river Styx to make him invincible, but she held him by the heel of a foot. Oh my gosh. And so like later on, way later in battle, that's how he was killed, was being shot in his heel because it was the only part of his body that wasn't invincible. This is like... Yeah, history lesson. Yes. I love um, that. And then also the Achilles tendon, like you just mentioned. Yeah, it's so fucking It's like the worst place to get tattooed, I, I wouldn't like know. But kidding. it's also gets slashed in horror movies a lot. Ugh. See, I don't watch it's Just those. vomit inducing. No, I just, no. So the story I want to tell you, it's not about how powerful or heroic or omnipotent Achilles was. It's actually that when the Trojan War started and um, everyone knew that in Greece that it was going to be inevitable, his mother had a vision that he wouldn't survive. So she disguised him in women's clothing and then hid him among the daughters of King Lycomedes. And so like years passed and he was just disguised as a woman. And then Ulysses and some of the other Greek chieftains came to retrieve him for war. And they knew they had to like lure him out and trick him <laughs> to come fight, even though he was the greatest hero of Greek mythology and could have uh, sort of single-handedly ended the war. He was just like hanging with the ladies. So they laid out all of these jewelry and um, beautiful clothing and all of these gifts. And then they put a sword and a shield down. And then Achilles didn't look at any of those, like the jewelry or anything that the women looked at. He came out and started admiring the sword and the shield. Oh. So they were like, 
Ha ha, got, got you, you, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was you. That would be like if we needed Kristen to come. I would set out a box of rosé. Mashed potatoes. And a mashed potato bar. <laughs> like oh, my God, a buffet. All of the different fixins. Just ripping off my costume. It's me, it's me, it's me. <laughs> Get out of my way. Um, and then so I said, so not only was he a coward, he was also stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. Um, oh, and then I also wrote a little note to myself. His Achilles heel was basically that he was just dumb. <laughs> um, but so the reason I want to start that story is today's today's nope episode is not about Achilles. It's about women throughout history who did the exact opposite of what he did. They cross-dressed as men so they could fight in a war it's and defend awesome. their country at a time when it was illegal to do so. Um, so these are the stories of probably of just some of the hundreds and probably thousands of women who've disguised themselves as men to serve in all male militaries or to protect themselves when it was a dangerous time to be women or to be a woman um, during battle. It's still a dangerous time to be a woman. We're just not in a battle in Hood River right now. <laughs> um, so the known cases of, dis of women disguising themselves as men to fight in battle date back as far as antiquity and the early middle ages. And this comes to the part where I'm going to start slaughtering names. Oh, perfect. But, um, Epipoli of Charistus. That's right. She was actually a Greek woman who did the opposite of what Achilles did. And she dressed as a man. So she could fight in the Trojan war and probably yeah. took his place because he was hiding out. <laughs> um, everyone's heard the story of Mulan who joined the Chinese army, obviously. You've probably watched that Disney movie. I can definitely tell you all the things that Fucking are wrong with that times. Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, no. What? Compared to the historical account of but the actual the warrior. Account. However, I do have to say every time when she's cutting her hair and she's got her sword and the music's playing, I'm getting teary-eyed just talking about it right now. Oh. I can't help it. I always start crying. I love it so much. I also cry at all state commercials. Those are also really emotional. It's an emotional year. Um, of course, everyone has heard of Joan of Arc. If you haven't, um, please just educate yourself a little bit. But she was a peasant girl who was born in France. Um, and she led the French army to several victories during the Hundred Years' War. Are you getting emotional about Joan of Arc? I have to tell you that I went to where she was burned. What? And I was cleaning Spoiler up the Spoiler alert, she was burned, you guys. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. But um, it's in Rouen, Paris. Or not Paris. Oh, my gosh. France. Sorry. Let's, can we edit this episode? No. Nope. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, it was. it's a pile of, like, rocks, basically, that's left there. And then they've built a church in honor of her, but next oh to gosh. it. Oh, my gosh. And... I was getting so pissed because there was this guy eating a sandwich and his dog was like peeing on like the, he was sitting on the rock and the dog's like peeing like right next to it. And I'm just like, sir, what a fucker. You are on history. Like, I'm yeah. just like, ah, but I mean, I guess also coming from America where our history is a little bit different, like it's really common to just stumble across amazing historic sites That's all true. over Europe and then be like, oh yeah, this is where so where I eat my sandwich every day. Yeah, it's just what I do. She is like just truly badass martyr. And like yeah. you said, she was burned for hearsay at the age of 19. Um, she only lived from 1412 to 1431. Like if you think about A, how long ago that was and B, how much she did before she was 19. Go like on. I did jack shit before I was 19. Um, in the 17th century, I read about a woman named Eyal de Dragonair. Sure. 
Uh, she served Sounds as right. she served as a Dutch dragoon, which were mounted infantry soldiers who traveled by horse. But then when they got to battle, they dismounted and fought on foot and with firearms. And I read a bunch about these other uh, dragoon soldiers, women who disguise themselves. So it wasn't they they weren't trying to uh, get into battle to sort of stay in the back in the background. That's awesome. They were like, all right, I'll ride this horse there, but I'm going to get off and fight beside you on foot when we get there. Um, Al de Dragoner, when she passed, her body was put on display at an anatomical theater, which were kind of like these very early teaching rooms at medical universities, which wow. was very, um, that was in the 17th century. So it was super like ahead of its time. Um, obviously the list of women goes on and on as we move into more modern times and there's more documentation, you know, you start to sort of get less, um, legend of people and more actual documented cases. There's the story of Anna Marie Lane, who at the age of 21 disguised herself as a man so she could jo join the Continental Army and fight alongside her husband in the American Revolutionary War. Oh, my gosh. Um, she later received a pension for her courage, even after they discovered that she was a woman. This woman, Deborah Sampson, she also dressed as a man and she had an alias, Robert Shirtliff, and she fought for the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. And she's the... She's known as the first American woman on record to disguise herself to enlist as an infantry soldier. So like That's those badass. dragoons in the Dutch army in the 17th century, this was like much later, but she, yeah, she just enlisted as infantry. And wow. I, and I wrote here, um, so that was in during the revolutionary war. And for comparison, the first woman to officially join the U S military joined the Navy in 1917, a full 135 years after that. Wow. Like for perspective on how long it was until we could actually join the military. Well, and also no big deal while all the guys are at war. We're over here with victory gardens and building airplanes mm -hmm. and fucking right. making this country awesome. Doing everything. Like, <laughs> everything. <laughs> that... Doing everything. Um, so Deborah Sampson uh, was the woman I was just mentioning who fought in the Revolutionary War. She went as Robert Shirtliff. Um she served 17 months and she was honorably discharged in 1783. Her biographer, Herman Mann, who was actually a good friend of hers, uh, he knew her personally for many years. And he described her as being five foot nine inches tall, which was much taller than almost all of the women who were five around five feet on average at that time. Wow. And most of the men were five foot six on average. Um, but then he also said that this is in quotes, her waist might displease a coquette implying that she wasn't thin. And then I looked up what a coquette was, and I think it's just like a flirtatious lady. Oh. So like maybe like a feminine lady, her waist might displease. I was thinking a full-blown just coke junkie. Like <laughs> a coquette. Oh, like a coquette? Yeah. Like, like the rockets, coquette, but like, for coke? But for cocaine. It's oh, Sorry, it's coquette. Oh, coquette. Q-U-E-T-T-E. Oh, -E -E. Sorry. Okay. I didn't pronounce it French enough for you. But like, yeah, I don't, if you're, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Your waist is displeasing a flirtatious lady. Like, That's what's up? Mine too, Herman. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I hope none of my friends describe Hashtag me that same. way. Same. Same. Ooh, that should be a, that's a good matching tattoo. <laughs> she used a linen cloth to hide her small breasts during service. Um, this is badass. In her very first battle, she suffered a cut on her forehead and two musket balls lodged in her thigh, but she didn't want to get medical treatment because she thought that she would be caught and kicked out of the military. 
So she fled the hospital against medical advice, cut one of the musket balls out herself with a pen knife, and then just lived the rest of her life with an unhealed leg because the other one could never be removed. Oh, my God. Um, and then later in later in a different battle, another doctor discovered her true gender during surgery. And rather than disclose it to the army, he took her home where his wife and nurse cared for her. Oh. Uh, ten years after her discharge, she petitioned Massachusetts for pay the army had withheld when they found out she was a woman. And she won that petition and she received back pay that was around. So this is around 1792. She received 34 pounds, which I looked it up and it's about $6,600 today, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it probably was a lot back then. Yeah. And even though she was a woman. It was probably not as much as she should have gotten. No, absolutely. But at least it was something. And fuck those dudes. She did go on Sorry. to get. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that was her note. She's like, fuck you. Yeah. Um, she did go on to give lectures about her service for many years, and I thought this was really awesome. Um, they said that she would just begin her lectures fully dressed as a woman, talking about um, just sort of these stereotypical gender roles and the traditional gender roles, and then she would basically be like, time out, hold up, bitches, I'll be right back. She'd go get in her uniform and come out and perform this super tough military drill dressed as Robert Shirtliff to show them, like, I came out here and you had this one idea of me dressed oh. in a dress and all of that stuff, and then I came out and just showed you what a badass I am. Fucking love that. She was really good friends with Paul Revere. This is, like... Also another one of my drunken history favorites. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes. absolutely. Um, but he, he actually advocated for her to get even more pension um, due to her services and her injuries, which she was awarded in 1805, but I didn't see how much. And she died in 1827 at the age of 66, which was a pretty good life expectancy having fought in war back yeah. then. Um, and then I will talk about some more of these women with a couple of really awesome specific stories after this. And we're back. Uh, several of the women that I read about actually, like Deborah Sampson, the last woman, used male pseudonyms to enlist in the military so that they could sort of solidify their disguises. So it wasn't just this temporary way that they dressed. And it got me thinking just about like, what male pseudonym would I pick? Like, what would you pick? I, I think that some of the people just picked things that were around them. I think mine would be just like, uh, uh, just a letter. And then some random like last name, so you didn't really know what my full name was. So it'd be like J Monty or like oh, because you don't know if that's a first or a last name. You just don't know. Yeah, it's super ambiguous. Or I would be like Boris, and then they would be like, oh, okay, like is that your like, first that's what, name? I, <laughs> is that like, your last name? It's like what people did at Ellis Island. Like I would just yeah say a dude's name that I knew, Tom. Boris. Glass. Glass. Tom Glass. Glass. Tom Cup. <laughs> you know. Whatever you're seeing around Just you. Just things that are around you. Um, Skateboard. <laughs> that's first and last. <laughs> One of the women that I read about, uh, she was born Jenny Irene Hodgers, and she served three years in the Union Army during the Civil War, and she served as Albert Cashier. Which is what one of the things that got me thinking about that. Like she was um, enlisting in, in the market somewhere and she just saw a cash like cash register. She's like and she's That's like my name. Albert Cashier. And they're like, All right, ma'am, thank you for joining the United States military with a salute. Um, but the coolest thing about Albert Cashier is that he went on to live the next fifty years of his life as a man. That's awesome. 50 years. So 
it's actually like a lot of the modern day historians and authors that uh, write about Albert Cashier and his story um, posit that he was probably a trans man and not a woman who just decided to dress a certain way um, based on the fact that he decided to live the rest of his life that way. But he actually died in 1915 and he was buried in uniform in Sonoman, Illinois, which I found out is only two hours from my hometown. We're going there on our little road trip we're going to do. Well, it's not, I don't want to drive to Moline. Um, we're going to go visit my hometown. We're going to go visit. I'm going to take you to John Deere's grave since I know where it's at, since I went to many uh, field trips there. Oh, wow. That's, that's... It's, it's dark. But we are also going to do like a nope circuit. Yeah, we got to do a nope tour. I want to bring flowers to that grave. Everywhere. Not John Deere, but, well, maybe John Deere too. Albert Cashier. Albert Cashier? Just question mark. That's on his grave. That's awesome. Cashier? Yes, for bringing so many flowers. So I also read about um, Jane, and this is a French name, but Dulafoy? Sure. Sounds legit. Jane Dulafoy. She was a French woman that dressed as a man to enlist alongside her husband in the Franco-Prussian War. James Barry was a renowned military surgeon for the British Army, who was widely believed to have been born as Margaret Ann Bulkley. And to this day, it's actually unknown if James was a trans man, was intersexed, or it was um, Margaret making the decision to live uh, her life publicly and privately as a man so that she was afforded opportunities like going to university and becoming a prominent surgeon and serving in the military and all these things that wow. uh, weren't afforded to women at that time. Uh, James Barry's birth sex only became known to the public and the military at his death in 1865 when an autopsy was performed. And then the overwhelming notion that he was intersexed so that he um, had ambiguous or dual sexual organs is actually refuted by most LGBTQ theorists who believe that that idea is just putting this cisgender role onto someone historically because there, there wasn't a belief that a trans man could have succeeded wow. and accomplished so much in life. So I think that the notion that I want to go with is that James Barry was a trans man who became a surgeon, attended university, and served uh, honorably in the British military. This is just an example, too, about, like, it doesn't matter about who you are, what gender you are, what gender you identify with, whatever. If you are kick-ass and what you're doing and, like, you know, you do you, boo. You know? Well, particularly if, I mean, in all, in all realms, agreed. And... If it's serving your country and volunteering, volunteering yeah. to do that in this um, honorable and patriotic way. You can't sit with us, Regina. I know. Who's <laughs> stepping in and saying, uh-uh-uh. No. Born a certain way. You can only volunteer your whole life and all these things this way. If you're this Fuck way. off. Not you. <laughs> um, Francis, so Francis Clayton, Sarah Emma Edmonds, Sarah Rosetta Wakeman, and Mary and Molly Bell all disguised themselves as men to serve in the Civil War. So more recent history. Um, Wakeman, Sarah Rosetta Wakeman, served under the alias Lyons Wakeman, or sometimes Edwin Wakeman, and her letters remain one of the only surviving accounts that's documented of women serving in the Civil War. So long after she passed, her letters were discovered in a distant relative's attic. Wow. And they've um, been put into the Smithsonian, the Getty Museum, and other um, historical sort of 
places because they really think that it might be some of the only or the earliest documentation of women serving in war. And this um, also goes for, I'm like, folks, if you're ever cleaning out a loved one's right. house, don't, don't just, if you see a bag of letters, don't just throw them at, like throw them out. If it smells musty and everything, there's probably something hidden in there. <laughs> just it's so funny that you say that because it's history, like history, money. It's the knows? opposite of it's the opposite of nowadays when it's like if I ever die, delete my browser history. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because now we're just immersed in bullshit. Just get rid of my phone completely. If I took the time to handwrite something with a quill and ink to you, um, save that for sure. Oh yes. So she frequently wrote home to her family and signed her real name, uh, Sarah Rosetta Wakeman, which was just wild at the time because if it would have been intercepted she would have been court-martialed but she talked to her, her family almost bragging about how much money she was making and all the financial independence she had as a woman which was her. not afforded to women at that time not most women there are women like marianne hall yes but, who had a lot of wealth well and that you have to you have to break the rules to get that kind of money exactly you know like if that means you know doing what she did but right um, sadly, she died in 1864, like thousands of other sol soldiers, after drinking water contaminated by rotting animals. Stop. And getting diarrhea. Stop it. Yeah. The poop demons. She spent her life fighting uphill battles to just die by the poop demons. That's just not even... Like, we ought to go and pay tribute to her, too. She deserves a lot She's of She's buried in New Orleans, so I will, I'm there. Yeah, I'm too. Me too. Um, so she is buried as Lions Wakeman with full military honors. Shut up. Yeah. Fuck yeah. In New Orleans. So Mary and Molly Bell, they were cousins who disguised themselves as men to serve with the Confederate Army, which is badass, but they also lost. So I don't know if that was a good choice, ladies. But they had actually confided their secret that they were women in one of the young captains that were part that was part of their platoon or ranks. What is it called? I don't know. Squadron. I'm just saying battalion. military battalion. I'm just throwing words. Fighting too. squad. Um, and they entrusted him with that information because they thought if they were ever captured or they needed medical attention, they wanted each other to be safe. So when he was actually taken prisoner, they looked to another man that they trusted within their ranks. Um, he was a young lieutenant, their battalion. And as soon as they told them, he was like, oh, I'm ratting you out. And you bitches suck. Thinking about it this way, too, he probably, just from being a little familiar with the military, it's like, oh, yeah, he's, like, throwing them under the bus, and he's probably getting awarded for he's that. He's protecting himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, so at, um, at the ages of 17 and 24, Mary and Molly Bell were imprisoned in Richmond for impersonating male soldiers when really, honestly, all they wanted to do was return to service. They didn't want awards. They didn't want, like, the leg up on someone. They wanted to fight for their country. Uh, their commanding officer, General Early, he actually denied when they said that there were other women that were at least six other women that were soldiers within his ranks. He denied all of it. And then that piece of shit said this, that the cousins were, quote, prostitutes, common camp followers who were the means of demoralizing several hundred of my men. Okay. Boo. -ah. Thumbs down. No. Um, the fellow, their fellow officers actually disagreed vehemently with him and said that they were fine soldiers who should be allowed to stay in service, which they were not. But the two women were released from confinement when no charges were actually brought after her three weeks of being in confinement because the charges were 
caring too much about your country. Which, and I love that, like, those other soldiers came forward to be like, no, you're an asshole. This is not how it was. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to lie for you. Because right. like, that had to be, they were probably putting their necks out hardcore to do that. Also, sure, absolutely. To, like, stand up for these women. Um, and then as we move deeper into, like, more modern deeper or more recent into modern history, the 20th century stories of women dressing as men in America start to dwindle. There's many other parts of the country where you can still kind of see that. But um, that could be because in the spring of 1917, there was the growing threat of war in the United States and the United States Navy secretary issued an order that women could enlist because of that threat of war, because not a lot of young men were enlisting. And this is awesome. They wanted to allow one one woman to enlist in the hopes that it would prompt young men to follow suit. And I wrote a note here and I was like, do you mean shame? Were you trying to shame the young men? So so here, introduce that woman. Her name was Loretta Walsh. She became the first woman to officially enlist in the U.S. military and also the first female chief petty officer. So before her, many women had been nurses or administrative roles or technician roles, but not actually enrolling, I mean, enlisting in uh, infantry. So with that push to have one woman enroll, I keep saying enroll like at school, to enlist, um, she actually became the first of more than 12,000 women to serve during the war. Holy shit. Fuck yeah. That's awesome. Like they opened the gates and women were like, oh yeah, we've been waiting for this. Yeah, (laughs) we can do it too. Actually more efficiently. Yeah. We've been doing a lot of other shit at home. Been uh, holding down the fort. No Why don't deal, we just show up planes. and do it in half the time and then we'll all get back to our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, at a centennial event to commemorate Loretta Walsh, U.S. Pacific Fleet Master Chief Susan Whitman said, it is eye-watering. Uh, that means tearful. Okay. It is eye-watering to see how far the enlisted female sailor has come over the past 100 years. From traditional female roles such as nurses to female sailors working in non-traditional rates such as nuclear power electronics technicians, Navy divers, air crewmen, master at arms, aviation rescue swimmers, builders, explosive ordnance technicians, submarines, and special warfare. The future holds no barriers and now the sky is truly the limit. And with all of that, talk about badass female veterans and service members. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and give like a clinks. Cheers. A cheers. A huge fucking shout out. To a major historic event. To a major historic event. The Vice President-elect Kamala Devi Harris. The first biracial black Indian American female fucking vice president. And outside of everything politically around like feelings of that, that a woman is sitting in this office, going to be sitting in this office for the first time ever is, in my opinion, cause for celebration. Huge celebration. And although we are neutral here at Thunder Thighs and Lightning, we do have to celebrate this like a hundred percent. Absolutely. I feel like I don't care where you are politically and where you're thinking. And if you're thinking this is a great thing or not a great thing, because the world's very divided right now. Um, we have to celebrate that we have a woman in the white house for the first time, not as a wife or a partner or 
a daughter. Like this is a and a second deal. gentleman is going to follow like a second gentleman for the first time because this a is female so big. <laughs> and she, you know, she she wasn't in the military, but she's going to sit alongside of the commander in chief, the highest uh, seat in this world, arguably. But you know, maybe not historically, but like moving forward, just what a huge, what is what a huge piece of news and what a huge, in my opinion, at least step forward, hope for change. Um, and not just recent change, hope for change overall in the spectrum of the sky, thinking about all the little girls like in your life or in my life and not even little girls, grown ass women, me who like got to see that was just like fucking awesome. Totally. I think like congratulations to her, her family, that entire like everyone who ran on that campaign. It's a, it's a big deal. It's in line with sort of what we're talking about. Um, women that said fucking nope and stepped outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to completely switch gears again, all over the map on a very somber note. Um, but because we're just very honest and raw people, um, it's hard to believe that this is still 2020. But it is. You just said earlier that you longest, can't believe it's November. I can't believe it's November. I feel like the it's, longest Tuesday of your life. God. <laughs> it started in March. It started in March. <laughs> Here I am. It's up Tuesday. Um, but I, I just wanted to end with saying that I would be remiss to do an entire episode of the show um, about pure, just badass female veterans. And not to mention the tragic loss of Vanessa Guillen in April of this year. It's... Um, why it is tragic and wild to me that to think that this happened this year yeah and it has been folded into and lost in everything else that's going on um so for those who know the story you know this but for those who don't uh it's important that we say it out loud and speak vanessa guillen's name as frequently as possible um at the age of just 20 years old she was last seen near, near her barracks in april of this year at the controversial fort hood in texas Um, And I say controversial because soldiers and military personnel continue to disappear and turn up dead at this military post without proper investigation or answers. As of this recording, 24 uh, soldiers have died at Fort Hood this year. That's insane. 24, like on our soil at their home. And that is tragic. Uh, She was brutally murdered and her remains were discovered in June. Uh, the suspect, who was a fellow soldier whose name I refuse to say, uh, in this very disgusting murder, he killed himself soon after her remains were found. And her family later indicated that she had planned to file a um, sexual harassment complaint against him the day after she was killed. Fuck. Yeah. So there. Um, since then, a group of U.S. lawmakers, I think in September, introduced a bipartisan bill named the I Am Vanessa Guillen Act which would make sexual harassment a crime within the Uniform Code of Military Justice to move prosecution of sexual assault and harassment cases out of the military chain of command, which they should not be there in the first place. Um, This bipartisan bill is currently endorsed by over 100 House members and it's set to go to vote this month. So fingers crossed that that actually moves forward. Uh, very recently, Vanessa's death has been ruled as being in the line of duty, and which means that her family has been afforded certain, if not all, military benefits that they would have otherwise Fucking been denied. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, they need all right. the benefits. They should be. Hello. I mean, if you're at 
we don't need to get too deep into it. But if you're at a military output, a fort, like you're in the line of duty, you're yeah. you're serving, in my opinion. Well, um, if you die that way also, like what the fuck? At Why the hands know? of a fellow fucking soldier. Yeah. Uh, but here's how I want to end. Vanessa should be remembered as a young Mexican-American woman who grew up in Houston, graduated from Cesar Chavez High School, played soccer, and loved the Puerto Rican singer Bad Bunny. She was a private first class who was posthumously advanced to the rank of specialist in the Regimental Engineer Squadron 3rd Cavalry Regiment, who had been in service to this country for two years. She survived and mourned by her parents, five siblings, her grandmother, an aunt and uncle, several close friends, and her boyfriend. In 2018, 20,500 service members were sexually assaulted or raped, including 13,000 women and 7,500 men. This was a 40% increase from the previous year. One in five female service members who has reported sexual harassment will become victims of sexual assault. Research indicates that as many as 76% of sexual assaults in the military go unreported and less than half of the females who did the report feel unprotected and unsupported by their chain of command. By keeping the statistics focused on the victims of these crimes and not the perpetrators who commit them and are shielded from consequence, the military remains a system in which change will not occur and violence reigns free. That's why this Veterans Day, Thunder Thighs and Lightning has chosen to make a charitable contribution to Protect Our Defenders, which is a 501c3 human rights organization. From their website, their mission reads, Protect Our Defenders is the only national organization solely dedicated to ending the epidemic of rape and sexual assault in the military and to combating a culture of pervasive misogyny, sexual harassment, and retribution against victims. We honor, support, and give voice to survivors of military sexual assault and sexual harassment, including service members, veterans, and civilians assaulted by members of the military. We seek reform to ensure all survivors and service members are provided a safe, respectful work environment and have access to fair and partially administered system of justice. You can learn more about this organization and donate at www.protectourdefenders.com. That's protectourdefenders.com. Thank you. While you're here, please take a moment to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at podcasttl or email us directly at thunderthighspodcast at gmail.com. We're back and uh, we were just talking about the woman who went by Richard Sherlift or whatever. Um, several of the women that I read about actually used male. Wait. wait. <laughs> <laughs> Delete. 